Are you really connecting with a particular Book Interrupted member and want to hear more of what they have to say? With your free trial to Unpublished, you gain access to the Book Interrupted Inklings and real-life video content of our day-to-day -day challenges, thoughts, and opinions. Go to www.bookinterrupted.com backslash unpublished to start your free trial today. Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and strong language. Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode of Book Interrupted. You know, because so many people are like, well, it's natural to eat this way and it's natural to be this way. And I'm just being honest, as if it somehow protects them and heightens what they're saying. Humans arrived? Extinction! Humans arrived? Extinction! The animal part, because I was like, I might have to be a vegetarian. But how storytelling allowed us to do all those things and not feel maybe that bad about it. Maybe I get big old double D's put in and I say like, well, this one's for my grandmother. Disrupted. Mind, body, and soul. Inspiration is with uh, And we're gonna talk it uh, out. On Book Interrupted. Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. If you'd like to join along, this book cycle is from August 1st to September 5th. It's Leah's book pick, and we're reading Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Sapiens explores how human history has shaped our societies, the plants and animals around us, and even our personalities. All right, so it's personal journal time. Let's see what the members of Book Interrupted thought outside the group. Hi, this is my personal journal for Sapiens. Oh, I love it. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, uh, where am I? I'm page, I'm only 100 pages in on unbelievably because i feel like the amount of content that's come out of 100 pages is quite a lot yeah i'm really enjoying it i'm also listening to it and um it's not narrated by the author yuval harari but it is narrated by great voice i don't know what he looks like but he sounds like heaven his name is Derek perkins good work he's oh, just rolls up the old tongue so yeah, he's lovely, he sounds lovely. Reading it's just as easy as listening to it. And it's so story, it feels like a fiction. So good, everything like leads so seamlessly into the next chapter. Uh, it's just like such a good read. I can't believe how good it is. So I'm just enjoying it so much. I took a couple notes. Some of my favorite things were just any animal stuff. Like I had no idea how long ago dogs were there was signs that dogs were domesticated like 15,000 years ago that's just amazing and we're like wow we really are like just kindreds with these these animals at this point for better or worse so I just love that that I don't know why that I love that so much and then in chapter four it kind of starts to develop into sapiens effect on its environment one of the reasons why sapiens are so we're so successful at uh evolving and expanding and becoming the only version 
so far we might we might split up into two different versions again um like uh, meaning um neanderthals and uh homo sapiens coexisting um for some time together but why in the end sapiens ended up one of the many reasons is um their ability to kind of take over an area work as a team and uh in chapter four it starts getting into australia and what it was what it would have looked like what animal species were around and it just made me feel like i was in a fairy tale land of like just amazing creatures 450 pound kangaroo that was six feet tall a marsupial lion which all species in australia at the time were marsupials which is pretty amazing giant koalas giant flightless birds that were like two times the size of an ostrich and like huge dragony lizards and huge snakes and something called a diprotodon a diprotodon I hope I'm saying that right, uh, which is like a giant two-ton wombat. How exciting. And I just love, like, I just wanted to, like, illustrate it like it was some kind of a magical, I could see it like the the kid's book where the wild things are. It just felt so awesome. So I loved all of that. It obviously leads into how sapiens affect a few thousand years, like, um, almost all of them were extinct. <laughs> um because of sapiens but that that is what it is it moves further in and flows beautifully into chapter five about how the agricultural revolution uses animals or and we still do today in more and more horrific ways for food and labor that just started so long ago and how and how they do it in different countries and different places and how they how we use animals and the horrifying factual truthful and it's always uh just always it's always so hard to digest that kind of information and i am a meat eater i don't i'm not shaming in any way i just uh yeah it is it's just um wild and crazy and then how long we this has been going on and i just can't say it's just so interesting to think about hunter gatherers and than like uh, the agricultural revolution and how that changed our species so dramatically. And um, that's where I'm at. I think that's about chapter six-ish. So I don't think that's even halfway through. I don't think it's even close, but I'm really liking it so much. I'm gonna keep powering through it, listening and reading, and it's a pleasure. Okay, see you next time, bye. Okay, so I'm not reading it as fast as I thought I would. And I think part of it is because I stop reading something and then explain it to my husband. It's so interesting, the things that he's saying. And this book is really refreshing. There's a lot of books out there, particularly the kind of spiritual or self-help books that are very human-centric. And even science, book, science books that are very human-centric about, and we compare ourselves to everything else and all the other animals. And he kind of starts off telling us that we're an animal of not much significance. You know, we're just an animal. It's a pretty damning account of, you know, how murderous human beings have been. Not human beings, Homo sapiens specifically. Because he does point out that we weren't the only human beings. And we probably killed the rest. <laughs> so... I really like it. It's a really refreshing book. He's very witty. He he writes well, maybe a little cheeky. I really like the tone of this book. It's keeping me engaged, but everything he's saying is very interesting as well.
So I've gone through the first two sections, the cognitive revolution and the agricultural revolution. And I was thinking a lot about this book while I was toiling in the yard. So this year we decided to put in a vegetable garden and uh, we removed a whole bunch of sod and I live on a hill. So we had to do raised beds and level them out. Anyway, it was a lot of dirt moving and sod moving and toiling in the sun because it was a beautiful day, days when we were doing it. And I just couldn't help but think back to Sapiens about how he's saying that our, we didn't give our bodies the chance to evolve to be able to do this kind of work. So when you're, in, you know, growing or if you're a farmer and you're out in the field, it is backbreaking labor. That's why we started, you know, using animals instead. Uh, so it's funny, this book is making me think a lot about the things in my life and how we see things, how the things that we believe are just the stories we've been told, which, you know, I've talked about before. I do believe that as well. It's just, I guess I like reading things that reaffirm things that I already believe, you know, like any other human does. You know, he talks about how absurd some of the things that we think are needs now uh, are from an evolutionary standpoint, or people want to go on, you know, these big vacations, whereas Early humans wouldn't think about going halfway around the world. That's just not something that would come up to them. But um, how we work way harder now with all of our conveniences than a hunter-gatherer would have uh, in you know the small groups before. Obviously, there's probably some benefits, but it's interesting to think about that if you're working a 40-hour work week or more, as many people are. I don't know what else there is to say. The luxury, something like the luxury trap. I liked that because I have tried to be aware of this. You know, I love to go camping and we used to camp with very, very little. And over the years, every year, we kind of buy another little camping thing that makes it more convenient or more comfortable. And it's something that we didn't need before. And what do we get for it? Heavier backpacks, you know, like we're slowly adding these conveniences and it's literally breaking our back, just like the agricultural revolution. So I really, um, I really love this book. I think anybody would find this really interesting, although depending on your beliefs, you know, he talks about myths and stories and different things. I think there's a lot of people from a religious standpoint that might not really like his point of view. Um, that, you know, religion is a set of mythology. Some people don't like to think of it that way. So, but uh, really good book. Good read. And I didn't realize that Neanderthals had bigger brains. I'm re just learning so many new things that are very interesting. I think that this book is just going to make me not like humanity. <laughs> I have gotten through some understandings of how money works. I'm in the part now where like, it's talking about how the like how people have always dominated other people and i just don't like it i think that that sucks and i don't know if it's true even though i'm sure that yuval noah harari knows more than me <laughs> about history but anyway so i'm going to keep on reading but what started off as very interesting is now just becoming like painful truths and i don't i like it I don't like it at all. So much I could talk about with this book. I'm enjoying it immensely. I would recommend it. I have been recommending it to other people. It's really easy to read. I'm flying through it. I'm over halfway done. So where do you begin? I think a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and I'll leave it brief, as, as brief as possible, because there's just so much, 
is um, I like how we talked about the mass extinction and how basically we think it's a no, uh, like a recent thing, but basically they can pinpoint it back to Homo sapiens. We arrive somewhere, extinctions happen. We arrive somewhere, and then animals become extinct. So it turns out we're the common denominator. Anyway, so I thought that was interesting. I thought the whole money thing was interesting, how it's a concept and how it like, you can, it went back to gold and then they made coins because it was easier and it had the Roman thing on it. And I thought that was interesting because it is just conceptual, but we've created this thing that's, we made it into something, but it's just in our minds, we've created it. So I thought that was very interesting. Another thing I found interesting was the religion part about how it's basically a kaleidoscope and how, you know, someone who is, um, like for instance, I'm Muslim, and f you might think that like I'm a monotheist, right? But basically it's a kaleidoscope of like dualists and polytheists and animalists. Like we're all, it's all wrapped into one because of angels and saints and devils and ghosts and all these things just make it all the same, which I used to say all the time that all, all the religions really, in, in essence, it's the same, but it's just how we practice them, right? So I thought that was very interesting, um, how it's all a contradiction. Another thing that's a contradiction for me was being a liberalist or a socialist because I identify as both, but they are contradictions to each other, which is so interesting that the human mind just makes it okay and we move on, that we can be at complete contradictions. It's like it's just, we make it okay. Anyway, I, I, the book is so interesting. I can't wait to talk to other people about it. I mean, in Book Interrupted, I'm already talking to other people about it, even if they don't want to. <laughs> but other people who've read the book, I'm interested to talk to them. Okay, bye for now. Um, I'm giggling because do you know what I just did? I literally just recorded this personal journal, but I accidentally hit <laughs> time-lapse photography. So I'm like, oh gosh, darn it. Gotta do it all again. And I had some really awesome gems, some really great bombs that I dropped in that <laughs> previous recording, but here we go again. So anyways, uh, everybody, I've got some exciting news. Well, it's exciting for me. I hope it's equally exciting for you, uh, but who knows? We will see. I have finally found my book, Sapiens. I found it. I found it. Hoo -hoo. Now I can officially drop the search because I had been saying the words that I was dropping the search and I was mentally trying to convince myself that I was dropping the search. But indeed, I'm a big fat liar. I wasn't dropping the search. I kept hanging on to it. And like every day, day after day, I was like looking for this gosh darn book because I've been looking forward to reading it for over two years. But here it is now, safe in my arms. Uh, because I don't really have anything to report for my personal journal, I'm going to disclose a secret. Yeah, it's a big one. Confession time with Kara. Okay, here we go. Ready? Deep breath. I've been cheating. Oh my God. I haven't been monogamous on Sapiens. I've been reading another book, folks. Whole Brain Living. There it is right there by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I freaking love it. It is juicy. It is full of information. It is... It's wonderful. I'm so sorry, Sapiens. Please don't feel bad. And to the author, 
uh, Yuval Harari, it is nothing personal. It really isn't. I am just this creature of habit because if I'm not in work mode, I am just in like la la land, you know, like just doing this or doing that. So I have to like set up these routines and habits for myself um, so that I do honor commitments and have at least a little bit of accountability and integrity in my life. Um, so I have this reading habit that it like these designated times that I like do reading and such, but like I didn't have anything. I was like, what is a girl to do? Um, so then I was like, well, I think this means I can read this book. <laughs> so that's what I did. I'm horrible. I'm really nervous. I don't know how I'm going to break this to the group. Um, so thank goodness I have still got a few weeks left where I can work up the courage on how I'm going to drop this bomb and tell um, those wonderful women on Book Interrupted that I am indeed a book cheater. Uh, many of them can uh, read more than one book at a time. That That is not what I do. I take forever and a day to read a book, and that's just one book. So yes, I will be disclosing at the final group gathering that I was indeed a cheater, but isn't it a blessing to have two beautiful books that I've been looking forward to reading. I am one lucky duck. So there we go. I guess I better um, figure this out somehow because I'm going to be having to do a book report soon. And I don't want to just report on the first chapter. I, I'd like to do a report on the full book reading. So we'll see how this goes. Fingers crossed. It was great checking in with all of you. And I look forward to our next check-in. Bye, friends. This is Leah's book choice, and I just want to thank Leah for choosing this book. What a fascinating book. You know, and it's a really nice change from all the self-help and the delving deep to look at uh, not just inside us, but humanity in general and the history of Homo sapiens and, the, and you know, where, what our impact has been on this world. Harari is actually really great because he takes all these complex ideas and issues and he breaks them down into manageable stories and ways of thinking about it so that we can wrap our heads around it. He starts with the history, with the cognitive revolution, where humans started to use our brains to uh, create fictional ideas in order to unite large groups of people. And then he also talks about uh, the ecological disaster that was humans when we basically just I think he calls it the flood, but went everywhere in the world and so many of the creatures that were uh, destroyed because of humans. Uh, then he goes into the agricultural revolution, how he, you know, the big fraud about how that was going to be better for humans and how, you know, we were actually at the mercy of these grains like wheat and rice. And then he goes into the unification of humankind, which I'm at. I'm at the money section, which is... Uh, really cool how all these different cultures who believe in different things and can't agree on anything can agree on the value of something like say silver which doesn't we can't eat it we can't uh, it doesn't protect us we can't it doesn't keep us warm like there's no actual tangible reason why we should want this but the way that money has developed so that people in different cultures can value it the same and then we can exchange goods you know, within everywhere is just really interesting. And then he'll eventually go on to the scientific revolution. 
I'm about halfway through, as I said. I haven't taken notes because I've been trying to get through this. I did the first half in a week and I have a week more to finish the other half. So I am kind of kicking myself for not taking notes because there were so many things in this book where I would, you know, yell out and be like, oh yeah, this and this is so interesting. And now I can't find them in the book. But anyways, really cool book. And thanks, Leah. And uh, I look forward to reading the other half. Uh, what a pleasure. And uh, I'll let you know what I think when I'm finished. Hopefully I get finished. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. This interruption is brought to you by Unpublished. Do you want to know more about the members and Book Interrupted? Go behind the scenes? Visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com. Book Interrupted. Okay, so here's my interruption. I'm kind of obsessed with this new show called We Are Lady Parts from the UK. And it is an interruption for me because I'm not much of a TV person. I'm a book person. And I've now binge watched the entire season, which is six episodes. I even watched it during the day. Now, I have binge watched shows before, but it was more like a social thing. Like when I visit my mom, we watch murder mysteries. We binge them together or friends if they're doing a series I've binge watched with them but on my own I don't typically do that and I like this series so much that I've already watched the episodes again <laughs> anyway I love this show and I really hope they have a second season so hopefully I will be binge watching new episodes in the future book interrupted let's listen in to this episode's group discussion do you want, guys want to do some topics from here? Does anyone have a topic that's from the book that they want to talk about or not at all? Oh, gosh. I do. I put, I actually looked this with my little free time I have <laughs> for a couple of quotes of things that I thought would be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So one of the things that I really thought, and Kara, you would have read this because it's page 51. So, oh, so I can include you. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it says that the heated debates about homo sapiens natural way of life miss the main point. Ever since the cognitive revolution, there hasn't been a single natural way of life for sapiens. There are only that. cultural choices from among a bewildering palette of possibilities. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, you know, because so many people are like, well, it's natural to eat this way and it's natural to be this mm -hmm. way. And it's natural to be this, it's natural to be whatever it is. And it's like, no, actually not. This is all just like a whole bunch of different uh, cultural choices that people made. So mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting point. He made. I wrote I down a that. similar quote about uh, what's natural and what's not natural. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. so it's on page 64. <laughs> so shortly after it says culture tends to argue that it forbids only that which is unnatural, but from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. A truly unnatural behavior, one that goes against the laws of nature simply cannot exist. So it would need no prohibition. Mm. Mm, right, because people. Like, what this uh, reminds me of is uh, the whole use of the terms or the words "natural" and "unnatural." I find that they come out of people, whether it's intentional or not, but it's almost like a "shut up" statement. That by adding something on by saying like, "Oh yeah, well, like this is natural," it almost kiboshes like a conversation to have any types of like curiosity or discovery. The way that you know the word, I'm just being, or like the word honest. How sometimes people will say the thing and then they'll oh. tag on at the end, 
and I'm just being honest, as if it somehow protects them and heightens what they're saying to be the ultimate statement. And it's a shut up statement. It's uh, the person that hears it automatically, like, what can the rebuttal be? Because you certainly can't call that person a mean poo-poo head because they've added on, well, I'm, I'm just being honest, you know? And similarly with- As uh, if honesty is a real thing. Like as if that's more true, it's only true. Not to be. Yeah, as if yeah. Not by adding that disclaimer, it makes it as if the statement is an absolute truth and is mm. now no longer in the camp of being maybe a personal subjective truth. And that the person who is speaking doesn't have to have, they get a get out of jail free card, in my opinion, that they don't have to be accountable for the words they're choosing to share or the delivery of the message because they're trying to put themselves in the, I don't know, it just, it's just one of, it just struck me as one it has of like the, a built-in defense mechanism. Yes, yeah, I think that's what I'm it is. Just being honest. So then now the person the listener is faced with, okay, then I guess I just have to let them go about their honesty unchallenged mm -hmm. because, you know, who am I to have a problem with their truth? Right. Yeah. So it has that like built in, like, I'm just being honest. So you can't say anything about it because then you're like a personally attacking me. It has like this tied in, like, yeah. little, like, if you want to have a problem with this, the stakes are a little bit higher, but it's, I think it's just, that's a little bit manipulative. Used as a culturally manipulative mechanism. Definitely natural. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. someone has an opinion about something you're doing. You're like, well, it's natural. Like you should be doing it too. Cause this is natural. And you're like, well, saying it's unnatural. That's just yeah. unnatural means that you're, you don't belong in all of the world. Like you yeah, don't belong because you are not in nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do this a lot. You're an abomination comes comes up a lot sometimes in um, tattoos where they're li literally getting body modification done. They're getting a tattoo done, and the conversation for whatever reason, maybe because of the client the clientele or um, where I live, moves to facial body modification, like injectables, Botox, fillers, those sorts of things. And like things will shift in conversation. And I love talking about anything you can get done to yourself. So that might be why it comes up too. But um, <laughs> like, oh, I would never do that to my face, like fill my lips full of this stuff. And it's like, they're literally getting tattooed, which is really ironic saying but oh i would never do that to myself like make my lips super big and it's like it's so unnatural it's, it's so unnatural looking it's like yeah well so is the highly pigmented thing we're tattooing onto you forever <laughs> so i just think it's funny how we categorize things like tattoos because they may have personal meaning to you as like maybe i get big old double d's put in and i say like well this one's for my grandmother <laughs> <laughs> my titties, and this one's for my grandmother. This is how I'm remembering them. My grandmother, like whatever it is. Her titties. Like it's so... And they'll be together for the rest of my life. And then now that when I squish <laughs> them together, they will murder about in heaven. Oh yeah, like I it's just that. so funny how we have to make meaning of these seemingly unnatural things. But well, yeah, what, it's what's natural. And it comes back to what uh, Lindsay was saying: is that like the anything that's culture, these stories we tell ourselves where this is okay, this is not okay, is not, mm. it came from culture, not from 
nature. Like how we evolved in nature. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is a That's really why I like what crossover. you said, Mare, because it's like, uh, it just puts that to sleep. What like it supports Lindsay's statement because it's like if it was unnatural, it wouldn't even happen. Period. We wouldn't be able to talk about it because it would never happen. Right. And speak like the natural thing is like also kind of it shifts later in the book. I don't have a page reference. I'm sorry, but um, into like what we deem as human rights. Not necessarily that's natural, but in, it kind of is the same thing. Like these human rights that are a creation of society. We actually don't have human rights. We've decided to have these human rights, which is a really uncomfortable part of the book because it's like a weird way of thinking. Culturally, we've developed ideas about what are our rights as humans that, you know, that every human deserves, I don't know, a roof over their head or uh, I don't know, food, water, the basics. And it's not our right. And in the animal world, that is not their right. Well, that's even our ideas say. about how we treat animals aren't their rights. Yeah, like that's so reading the book, you're like, yeah, this is great. This is great. Oh, yeah, I can get on board with this. Oh, totally. Like, good point. And then, it's good like point. And then it gets to the human rights, and you're like, wait, you're like, humans. And yeah. then you're so you're challenged. But that's one of the years or the pages that I dog eared was the animal part because I was like, I might have to be a vegetarian. Like, I can't, I know, even. And yeah. I, I knew some so of this stuff already from other like research other papers, but I don't know. Like, and then just to portray us. So what's the word? Like separately, right? Like just like, as soon as we started deciding that humans have rights, but not mm. all living things and not we like probably colonial, like white, like it's more, cause that's mm. another thing too. There was like a part in there that said about everybody's just looking for knowledge that's why all this exploration occurred and it's like not really like they were looking to go and you know maybe resources double down on what they think is the knowledge because they went to places that had vast knowledge that they like ignored or tried mm-hmm. to erase you know what I mean because it wasn't what they thought was knowledge or what they're not you know what I mean what they were looking for those were my two folded pages. Didn't but. he call it the human flood or the flood or something of humans <clears throat> mm. like going out and taking out over all these areas and that so many of the large, like all these large mammals that used to exist. Oh, I love that I was going to say so that. Exist. Yeah. Yeah. I love that part. I was saying that like that really got me. Like I've talked to other people when I was reading that part of the book that because like, you know, I'm into environmental things and whatever. I didn't like, I think about extinctions and I just thought that was a modern thing. And when I was read, that's one of the parts of the book that like blew my mind. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, humans arrived, extinction. Humans arrived, extinction. Like they can follow it. Like Madagascar, when humans finally arrived, all of a sudden things became extinct. Like they can literally pinpoint mass extinctions because Homo sapiens showed up and we just like destroyed <laughs> all the major, like the big animals. And then the sea was the only place left. And now we're in the sea. So like whales are starting to go extinct. So all those guys are now starting to go because now we're in the sea, right? Now we're, we've figured out how to like exploit that part now too, right? That blew my mind. Like that that changed my Did you love that part also from an imagination standpoint? Like I loved hearing about all these big preposterous mammals, like these ridiculous kangaroos that weigh five tons. And I was like, it was so exciting to me. I was like, I want to like draw a picture of this big fucker. Like he's so like, it was like, it turned into a fairy tale all of a sudden. I love yeah, like, like a child, like a children's book. 
of like, yeah, yeah like, like you show up on an island with like the giant wombat or whatever. The giant, yeah, like a, a six foot long platypus. <laughs> Just like, yeah. that's, that's not practical, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting how good humans are or sapiens are at like creating stories to justify what we do, but how storytelling allowed us to do all those things and not feel maybe that bad about it. And, and this kind of circles back to our first book in this group, which was all about storytelling and how humans, you know, women who run with wolves is about how we use stories to convey ideas over like large generations. And he does talk about that too, is how our stories has, have allowed us to spread uh, across the globe. Whereas before it was just like these little, maybe 200 groups of 200 in individuals before them. But like, when you read the book, you're like, yeah, stories are important. And then you realize that although culture is created by us, by our stories, it also shows the power of stories and our, the ability to change culture even though it's like, I mean, there's so many humans, it'd be hard, but it's possible. Wow. I think that's the other thing. Yeah, just if a, a story takes hold, then it's a new narrative. It's a new right, like reality. Right, like right? It's so important to so many people. And it's, even if you know that it is a fabrication, um, I don't think that necessarily takes the power away from the story that you believe in, because that's how we, that's how we make things happen as a big group. So but I think knowing harder. that's a fabrication yeah. maybe helps too. Just be like, where did this come from? If you know where your ideas come from, I don't know. Maybe it's easier to uh, to think through it and and what you really want to put your energy towards. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a like I think you know it would be I I would love that we could as a whole group change you know tell a new story or change but think about like all the stories we tell. Could we? all agree on a new story I don't know it's hard like Mm. I guess it starts in little factions and then becomes more of the mainstream so things like money like we're not you know it's so ingrained in our culture or corporations or all of the things he says that you I don't think you could like just all of a sudden be like okay well let's just go to a barter system and not use money or something like I think yeah I don't think anything could happen all of a sudden with like the number of individuals that can communicate on earth nor did anything happen all of a sudden to get to where we are either yeah Yeah. right like that's true when you think about like oh but it would be hard to get everyone on the same page that never happened you know what I mean? There's never a vote that we're gonna move (laughs) forward in this way or whatever right so Mm. but to both of your points there's hope probably like we might not see the major outcomes in our lifetime but there's hope (laughs) (laughs) so i was thinking that's what's so dangerous about information and storytelling in this kind of infancy of our the internet and maybe social media and it is uh stories travel so quickly now that maybe we're just we're in such an early phase of this that that's why it feels a bit dangerous now, a bit like unnerving and why things feel really unsettled. Maybe not in our personal lives, but in a social media and community, social media community, it doesn't feel much like a community because it's going too quickly. Well, I have a question. Is this the book in the beginning where he was saying how gossip served a purpose? Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah. Right. So I, that, when you say that, that makes me think about that um because that makes sense back in the day like you need to know which one of the tribe is killing people at at night or supposedly anyway and then uh (laughs) now with the social media thing and the fast information like 
um, for some reason, I don't know where, and maybe this didn't happen, but it feels to me like somewhere along the line, we lost the honesty. Like it's as if the gossip of the old days, because it was based in survival, you know, it was just fairly certain what you, like it was honest or something. And now like my point is getting to fake news. Like I just had a mm. fast forward to the future. Like what if, because stories have gotten us this far, what if we are destructing the story itself because of fake news? So now nobody believes anything. And then we're a bunch of not cooperating people or societies or whatever, because like that kind of happened with the Trump thing, right? All of a sudden, you, you like no one, you can't believe anything from any source or whatever, or you feel like you can't anyways. Like I'm sure that there are still some trusted and reliable sources, but because of that internet and the speed and the social media, anything can come out. And so if you are a critical thinker, you might be inclined to be like, well, I'm not going to believe anything because like yeah. no one's vetting this shit, you know, and it apparently needs to be vetted because there's, I don't know, invested interests or vested interests where we need to, someone's trying to change the narrative for their own personal gain, not for like survival anymore. So. And back an when you were in thought. groups of 200, the gossip kind of allowed you to figure out who was lying, right? It wasn't just who's killing people in the night, supposedly, but people like, hey, that person lied to you. Yeah, they lied to me. Hey, that person's a liar. Don't trust that one person. And everybody knows that one person is a liar and they're only looking out to further themselves. But because we can't connect with everybody, but we have connect, we, we are connected in a way, in a superficial way with so many people without the, uh, without that kind of intimate connection, then, then that's right. Like, well, if I can't trust, let's say 2% of people, is that the number for sociopaths? Like 2% of people are sociopaths. I mean, sounds if, a bit right. If 2% of a population of a 200 is a sociopath and you're like, well, those four people, right? Um, but if it's, you know, a million people, then there's enough people trying to disturb things and it's really hard to figure out who's who. Um, so who do you trust? And that's exactly what Kim is talking about. Like you've, the number of sociopaths, you know, messing things up. Well, and a further conversation about that is sometimes sociopaths are helpful. <laughs> Like you, you want them to be like the leader of your army or whatever, you know, like, so sometimes they make it certain places by virtue of their sociopathy. Mm. Um, one of the things that this makes me think of that I was going to talk about is in the book, it's, it's 402, talking about how we give our power to uh, the markets and the states now, instead of families and communities, like Mary was saying, you know, you solved your problems within your family and your community. And it was, the draw was this individual, like you can marry whoever you want and you can have whatever job you want and you can live wherever you want and you don't need to come visit your family on Sunday dinners and you don't need to help with whatever, the farm or whatever. And slowly the government, the state and the market has taken the place of community. And because of that, now things like they mentioned, like even like old age homes, now you like hire someone, you go to the market to get someone to help you in your old age. Your children don't take care of you in your old age. You hire someone to do it. And, and how like you've taken in modern times, you've actually, people are feeling disconnected from community, right? Because they don't necessarily have a sense of community anymore because we've given it over to the market and the state now, instead of to these family units where you could say, like you could work together to figure out like, oh, that guy's a liar or whatever, watch out for, you know, Uncle Tim or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know? And, but now it's like you would call the police and you would, or go to like a website that's like snoops, like who is lying? Like, let's find it. Let's go to all these websites in the market to find out who's a liar and who's not a liar, right? Mm-hmm. You don't go to actual individual people. We don't have that kind of connection anymore. Mm. Well, because we're too skeptical because our gossip has gone rogue. It's gone rogue. <laughs> the purpose of gossip has gone rogue, which is creating the skepticism, which is driving the disconnect, which is giving, handing over the power out of the localized uh, sources and community gatherings over to, we're giving that power over to the man or the corporations or businesses or governments. And really, because I haven't read much of the book, it was fascinating listening to you guys talk about it because it seems like Kim's point on gossip and Sarah's point that she just shared now, what it sounded like to me is, are we all perhaps not aware that we are using the gossiping and the skepticism and the disconnect as a way to not have to address a world that is suffering from and not have and who doesn't have a lot of practice in being vulnerable and building trust. Is there actually a problem there? Is that the dysfunction? And we're just finding lots of ways to not deal with it because it's uncomfortable work, right? Now inadvertently or subconsciously continuing to feed into the gossiping and the skepticism and the handing over the power to institutions because it allows us to not address the human condition concern around vulnerability and trust. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, well, like in an individualistic society, it seems that an aversion to vulnerability would be bred. Because if you're solo, then don't be vulnerable because you don't have a group around you to protect you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, Book Interrupted. You can also find our videos on www bookinterrupted.com. The impact books have on our lives is not limited to the words written between the covers. Some books inspire new thoughts and send us to unexpected places. Follow me, Meredith, every Sunday as I descend further and further in my recurring blog segment, Down the Rabbit Hole, at www.bookinterrupted.com blog. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Book Interrupted. Moments you can look forward to on next week's Book Interrupted. And then they get that thing they wanted and they're Mm. still unhappy. Well, when I got everything I ever wanted. Happiness needs to be the Mm -hmm. journey. And I think that's the point. What bomb did you just drop in my freaking head? We've been happy the whole time. We've we've enjoyed doing the things that we love to do. Moderate interest because I am a sapiens myself. (laughs) That's what you'll want us to believe anyway. (laughs) Book Interrupted. Never forget, every child matters.